0: welcome back to the shitcoin.com show everyone uh we had a brief hiatus but we're back with uh, a stellar guest for you this week um someone who's definitely in the know when it comes to everything uh mining and also um kind of the the guy to go to when you're looking for the scoop on the the china situation as well um yeah we've got kevin jang here, the VP of Business Development at Foundry. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's been a bit of a crazy week, oh, crazy few weeks um, and months. But I guess in the last uh, last week or so, all this China news has kind of uh, had a lot of reverberations. But what's your what's your kind of um, take on that? Is it is it serious this time? Yeah,
1: I think it absolutely is serious.
0: And uh, before I dive into it. Uh,
1: I was uh, taking my first day off uh, in quite some time. I was uh, actually in Toronto this past weekend. And of course, right when uh, you try and take, take a step back away from crypto <laughs> or anything mining, it's just, shit hits the fan. Um, yeah, this stuff never stops and I, I love it. Um, but yeah, to, to dive in, um, there's always been this meme that's gone around for several different cycles that, oh, China's banning Bitcoin. China's so banning Bitcoin, that, yeah. Um, and that's when I first got in, was a little after 2013. Uh, when China to Bitcoin for the first time and uh, things were crashing nonstop then, right? This is like right as right before the HODL memes and the mining operation we had in California back then, we were mining 2000 Bitcoins a month and we're liquidating all of it because we couldn't make uh, ends meet pay our electric bills. So before we go into everything else, I think it's important to point out that miners think very differently than uh, most Bitcoin Bitcoiners and Maxis and all Bitcoin supporters would, would imagine they do. Uh, most people are looking to mine for better cash flow, uh, not just accumulate more Bitcoin. I think that's been more of a recent phenomenon. Um, and that's similar with what's going on with China banning Bitcoin, right? They actually banned it this time. And it's, cu- it's come in waves too. Um, we have the benefit of hindsight now, right? But the start of this year, um, I believe it was like mid April or so, when China announced that or at least certain provinces and regions were announcing that they actually were banning and closing operations, people were attributing it to different things. Oh, was this uh, environmental or ESG mandate? They only started with Inner Mongolia. So was it just trying to limit the carbon emissions? Was it trying to clean up the energy mix that goes into Bitcoin mining? But then they banned Sichuan, which was predominantly hydropower. Uh, and these are people that got the right permits and the right permissions from the government to operate in the first place. So then it became, okay, well, is this... About financial stability, is it about financial control? Mm -hmm. Um, And because in in Sichuan,
2: they're not low on power in in that region.
1: No, they aren't. Because uh, especially in Sichuan, there's a lot of stranded power. There's a lot of hydro dams. There's thousands of them. Uh, They're very isolated. That sometimes aren't tied to the grid, and if the power isn't used locally, it goes to waste. Right. So there was a lot of incentives and synergies with running the power there. Um, And just in the last few weeks. there's been major power outages actually all throughout China. Um, so some people are now attributing it to, oh, maybe they were trying to get ahead of um, uh, power being uh, very scarce, energy prices going through the roof for coal and whatnot. Um, so I think it's a combination of things, but at the end of the day, uh, we can dive into this with a little bit more detail later. It's all about Chinese government and them, um, their, them inserting control and demonstrate that they're, they're, they're in the driver's seat, that they, they have a firm grasp of things if you look at the total consumption of the Bitcoin mining network, it's less than 0.1% of all the power consumption in the world, which is to give it some perspective, it's less than all the tumble air dryers and what they consume electricity, right? Um, the the market cap for Bitcoin is less than a trillion dollars, which is a drop in the bucket for the total economic uh, impact mm. and volumes that China deals with. So it's not really a threat to digital yuan. It's, it's, it's ultimately, it's about perception. And... Uh, one thing that've I've noticed is uh, in the past uh, past bubbles or po- past cycles, uh, every time you can you can identify a top when the Chinese new networks, especially CCTV, which is one of the government and state run news channels, when they uh, when they start announcing, uh, oh, you can make x amount of money with shitcoins, with Doge tokens or with Cum rocket or this or that, right um, so this time around it was like, once again, it was mid-April. They started making all these announcements. Like uh, when citizens were making so much, so many crazy, crazy returns, and people wanted to learn more about it, the news couldn't neglect it. So they started reporting on it. But when it's only a thirty-minute segment, uh, I'll, I'll, typically what they really only cover is, oh, here are the crazy returns people are making, and why do people invest? Oh, because they can reporting. bypass. Yeah, you can bypass. Uh, they're reporting, and you can also they're reporting like why why does even has quote unquote value, and it really doesn't right but they have to give it something more flavor so they always they always boast well cryptocurrencies you can bypass the uh the international remittance limits so of course the the <laughs> government's not going <laughs> to like when people bring that up right uh, and this is no different than 2017 um during the ico crazy crazy phase right and that's when we first met andreas remember well, we were uh originally we all flew to beijing for uh for a conference and that conference had to get moved to hong kong because china banned bitcoin that time around uh, and know? it was right after they started reporting on ICOs and the crazy returns people were making then. So they cracked down harshly. I know this is kind of an epic rant, but um, yeah, I think at uh, end of the day, it's about perception and it's about uh, Chinese government um, showing and asserting that, that they have control over the situation. And it's kind of the perfect storm uh, because there's all these environmental mandates. Um, it's, it happens to be the 100-year anniversary of the CCP. Um and there's all these there's things. A, that there's
2: of... always an anniversary of the CCP. There's <laughs> always <laughs> every year. <laughs> That's it's the like That's a, a the meeting, trip. or it's the other meeting, or it's the anniversary, or it's like somebody died. <laughs> exactly how convenient
1: <laughs> oh we want to we want to shut down this industry all right what anniversary are we celebrating this time around
2: <laughs> yes when
1: did mao die i forgot I
2: like, is, it, yeah, is mao's, it soon
1: yeah mao, mao's uh mao's uncle i think he passed away yeah, yeah well, let's, let's
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: what's um what's been the you know looking at um miners in china uh in terms of where they're actually you've seen them going where what are the kind of the places that you're seeing them set up
1: yeah, that's a great question. So um, I think there's a, a different categories of miners um, uh, in, in any sector, in any jurisdiction. There's a very big, large scale miners. Um, there are some of the medium players um, and there's some smaller miners, like retail hobbyists, just like we have elsewhere in the world. Um, for, for a lot of the larger and medium sized miners, the ones that are more proactive uh, and they started moving their machines either right before the shutdowns or uh, immediately after, uh, they had their machines flocked to uh, Central Asia, in particular Kazakhstan. And they also had there were some of them that also got deals and hosting contracts and co-location agreements lined up uh, in North America. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of it trickled to Central Asia into uh, Eastern Europe. And that's because there is a, there's less of a culture, cultural gap. Um, it's easier on logistics. Uh, many times it's over uh, the freight is not air freight. Uh, You don't have to go by C, it's it's shorter durations. And the lead times are lower and the costs are more similar, right? Um, In similar to many other industries, uh, when it comes to hosting services and running your machines at someone else's facilities, um, the costs and the quality are very in in line. And in China, they tackled a lot of their um, maintenance and uh, monitoring of their units with manpower and cheap labor rather than more sophisticated hardware. Uh, or uh, software, and when that's the case, it's just you have cheaper hosting costs, but you have poor uptime, whereas in the West, teams cost more, but you get a better performance. So it's it's very similar um, with how they constructed their facilities and how they manage them in Central Asia. Uh, so I think the expectations are more aligned there, and they can mm-hmm. build a lot faster. And it, and it trickles all the way down, even, even beyond just the performance of how the units run, it's how they build the facilities. Um, there's electrical code, there's all these certifications and permitting you have to do, uh, in the Western Hemisphere, in Europe, and Canada, and US. Uh, but in Central Asia, you can build it pretty quick. There's a lot of dormant power, and it's not as stringent.
0: That's interesting. I, I remember, do you remember when, um, when miners started moving to the US, for example, like, what was it, a couple of months ago now? Um, when you saw the, like, kind of airlifts of the, do you remember the, like, the carrier planes that they'd literally just loading up these private planes And just moving that in literally a day it's pretty wild that they can do that so quickly right but does that even
1: makes
2: does that even make sense
1: um it makes sense if you have space to plug them in right so right because because his years are heavy (laughs) very heavy so like um there's a there's a reporter uh i think her name is Eunice or something she reports for cnbc i think she does a decent job but you can tell that um the media it's like every cycle they pick something to actually focus on. And this time decided to focus on mining for the first time. And they're reporting on, Oh, it was like 6,600 pounds of Bitcoin miners being, yeah. being shipped yeah. out of China. And it was like, Oh no, they're talking pounds. Right. And this right. sounds like a lot. It's, it's like three tons. Right. But yeah. it, if each unit weighs like 30 to 40 pounds, it's actually not that many units. It, it actually yeah. is a logistical nightmare to move a lot of units, but that's the way it's always been. Um, the Bitcoin miners are so compact and so dense. with how the ASICs are uh, are packed on a board and then put into like a shoebox miner, it's a very heavy and dense machine. Um, so I think that I mean those examples. Sure, miners moving, but I would say it's a hundred x that uh, very frequently yeah. for larger shipments, right? Um, so you're not you're not talking one
2: cargo plane, even you're talking many, many, many.
1: You're talking many, many, many. Yeah, exactly. And he, uh, it's like. Right now it's incredibly challenging because supply chains are being uh shocked and challenged all throughout the world um with coronavirus right there's limited flights and uh materials and everything logistics uh, are that much more stressed
0: yeah so it's uh, it's a bit of a weird time to have it happening right what's what's yeah. the um what's the your kind of take on uh well how so bitmain i know i know you were tweeting about bitmain recently how how have they been handling it, and and how do you think they're gonna go forward?
1: Yeah, I just got a slap on the wrist from Bitmain, so I don't want to oh, bite the oh. bite the hand that feeds me. <laughs> uh, but but, uh, <laughs> but I, I I can uh I'll I'll share at a very high level. I'll talk I'll tell you about what they've announced publicly and how they've addressed kind of the months yeah. leading up to where we are now. So um I remember uh the Bitmain team um they decided to come over to the U.S uh, from China to attend Bitcoin 2021. They did their two weeks quarantine in Singapore and they showed up, um, uh, early June for, for that conference. But they, to, to get that, um, all the travel and everything arranged, they made those plans like two, three months in advance. So the Bitmain sales team, when they were first planning to come over, uh, we were making plans to hang out in the States and just to kind of attend different conferences and have meetings. They're like, oh, we got maybe like a one or two month window while we're going to be in the States. Uh, maybe talk to some of our big customers and then we'll fly back to China. Uh, well, as they arrived into the US and they attended Bitcoin 2021 in Miami, they're like live reading their blogs and their news and their company announcements that, oh, well, China's going to ban mining here and there, Bitmain to form a new entity and to form new offices and headquarters in, in North America to focus on that. And these uh, these colleagues and friends of ours, these employees of the sales team, they're finding out live that, oh, fuck, we're going to be stuck here in the States for some time. So, well, what employees? Oh, it's us. That's us that's going to be leading up the offices and um, hold down fort here in the in the US. So the teams that were supposed to be here for just a couple months and back in China, they're still here. And um, <laughs> Bitmain has shifted a lot of their focus into North America naturally, right? Um, after China, um, North America was the biggest uh, mining region, and it's now is the biggest mining region. I would say it's about of the global hash rate, and that number Mm will continue to grow. Um, North America may build a little slower, but it's on a very, very, very steady uptrend of capacity that's being built and uh, capital interest. Um, I think there's no better uh, funding source or no better funded region than North America because you have so many publicly listed miners now, and they have access to capital markets, and Mm -hmm. uh, they have an incredible amount of spending power that (laughs) has never existed before.
2: Yeah, because they can, yeah, I mean, they can do anything. They can can just go out and borrow money like any other company and show this is how much money you make when you mine Bitcoin. I mean, it's a very simple business in many ways. It's a very simple business. The only unknown is the price mm -hmm. of Bitcoin, but you can hedge also.
1: Yes, and and I think uh, there there still needs to be a lot of education, and you can see that investors um, are frothing at the mouth to deploy their money and they want to get into crypto. And in the U.S., they want to get into crypto, they want to get in Bitcoin. In the U.S., uh, Gary Gensler, SEC, and all these regulatory buys, they made it very difficult for people to just uh, outright buy crypto and to, like, uh, obviously approve an ETF. So what do people do? They ape in and they dive in deep uh, into these, um, these publicly traded mining companies. So obviously, I'm very happy for all these different groups we work with. But if you look at the economics, a lot of them are greatly overvalued, uh, but that can be justified sometimes if they have a lot of potential future growth, right? It's what is the PE uh, multiple and what's the Mm. ratio that's fair for these companies. If you look at a lot of these groups, it's like you can buy a thousand miners if you're a private company. Yeah. Sure. You may be valued at 20, $30 million, but those same a thousand miners, if you're publicly traded, somehow your your company magically becomes a billion dollar unicorn. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, a lot of money to be uh, thrown around in the mining space right now, especially in the capital. Well, areas. I mean,
2: nobody, it's, uh, it's weird if you run a business that actually makes money these days. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. And if it's,
2: and I mean, if it's a mining, a mining company would count as, I mean, sort of as a tech company.
0: So yeah, then absolutely.
2: your P should be, it should be a hundred X. Yeah. That's like,
1: yeah. that's small. Yeah. 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 Um, And (laughs) usually
2: it's infinite because the company makes no money.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you're, especially with a lot of tech startups, it's like they got this mission statement, how they were going to, they're going to make the world a better place. Right. Uh, And if you, it's like, everyone can be their own VC company. Now, they just invest in all these different Bitcoin miners uh, and you hope that one of them (laughs) makes it, but they're all cash flow positive. That's, that's the crazy thing. That's yeah. I mean, uh, that's what is, it's just so different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What, um, No, go
0: ahead. No go, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. I,
1: I think uh, one thing I, I glossed over earlier was that I mentioned there's different groups of miners, the, the big scale ones, the medium scale, and the smaller ones. Um, but not all of them got out, right? So uh, out of the ones that uh, stayed in China, there were those that also uh, wanted to risk staying in China and thinking, well, maybe this will blow over, right? Um, the CCP's 100-year anniversary was at the start of July, uh, and the bans all took place at the very end of June. So people were thinking, you know, give it a couple months, maybe things will lighten up. And we saw that the global hash rate jumped up, um, the network difficulty jumped up like 13 14% uh, a couple adjustments ago. And that was a lot of the smaller and medium scale miners turning back on in recent months. Uh, But um, obviously, uh, they got hit again with more recent uh, wave of shutdowns and crackdowns and investigations. Um, So the miners that stayed behind, and there were a lot of them that stayed behind, they did per- turn back on intermittently, but now they're shutting back down. Uh, the large-scale miners, if they didn't get out, all their equipment is just sitting in boxes and warehouses. There are tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, of machines and warehouses right now. Because essentially what happened is at the end of June, you have 50% of the global network that was hosted in China get shut off. So that's 50% of capacity that needed to be backfilled and built somewhere else in the world. And it doesn't happen overnight. This was infrastructure that was built uh over the last six, seven years, right? And it and in China you can build a lot faster. In other regions it's not the case. That's why a lot of people flock to Central Asia where they can build a little faster. But in North America, it's like six year uh six months just to plan yeah. the project, get the green lights before you even break ground.
0: So so with them um, those miners that did move to the US then is that like do you do you think they just had it it's all being pre planned out and advanced and ready just to deploy whenever they're ready. Is it is it kind of done that way? Is it just insane uh, amounts of planning?
1: Uh, I think some of it, uh, the people that planned a little earlier that, um, well, some, some, act, uh, some miners, even after like 2017, 2018, they realized that they've been through several cycles. They've been through several iterations of China banning mining. And especially if you're a larger player, um, a lot of times their facilities were shut down in the past. So they diversified the portfolio. They either moved their operations all overseas or they moved um, different portions of it, right? It's like uh, not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's pretty... Uh, logical when it comes to like, uh, diversifying your risk. So uh, there were those that already built those channels years in advance. And then there were those that kind of saw that, oh, them cracking down on Inner Mongolia, it wasn't just the environmental mandate. And they kind of front ran the band. Um, The ones that were caught their pants down, they were faced with, we can pay very egregious hosting rates, right? When there's such a big supply shock, and the band stays the same, well, prices will go up significantly. So typically, during a very healthy market, um, where hosting rates are very competitive. You're looking at five and a half cents, six and a half cent hosting rates. That's the typical rate. Um, dollars a kilowatt hours, typically what Bitcoin miners look for their hosting rates. Um, now we're looking at anywhere from nine to 10 cents. If, you, if you're if you looking for power immediately. So hosting rates have almost doubled.
0: Wow. Well, you mentioned this um, earlier in terms of Ethereum mining. So let's touch on that. Because well, what... There's only two things people are really mining, right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's two main things that people are mining, right? It's either Bitcoin or Ethereum. Uh, and that's because those are, the, those are two largest market shares. And um, one can be mined on A6, um, SHA-256, SHA-256 A6, and other can be mined with GPUs. Now, there's other coins. There's other outliers, right? Like, there's uh, our favorite coin. There's the Equihash coins, right? <laughs> um, Zcash, they, yeah. They, yeah they have their own chain and they have their own asic that can be mined as well uh and there's also uh, uh, other things you can mine on gpus but for the most part when it comes to mining the largest market caps also have the largest mining communities mm. uh so it's typically bitcoin or ethereum
2: yeah and i mean if you look at all the largest market caps now uh not many of them are any uh yeah are pow anymore
1: yeah i mean that's a, that's a really great point and and like, I think it'd be really fascinating. I think this is something that I would love for our team to do when we get a chances. Um, you're right. I think the industry as a whole has shifted a lot off of proof of work into proof of stake. Uh, and I think there's a couple of key reasons, right? Um, the one that everyone will point to is like, Oh, there's environmental concerns, this and that. But there's also the, the practical uh, reason, which is if you want to build proof of work, you have to have a lot of ASICs, a lot of talent, a lot of infrastructure built, and it doesn't get built overnight especially if you want it decentralized, right? You look at IPFS, you look at Filecoin uh, or Chia Money. this and that, 80, 90% plus is in China, right? So even if you want to do proof of work, it's not really decentralized that much by a region. Um, so a lot of these newer projects, they just want to uh, avoid that kind of lag time or they just don't have the patience for it. So they, so they bypass proof of, proof of work. Um, and, uh,
2: and even more like, even more, uh, like blockchain philosophy You in, in, uh, I mean, at least in theory, you should only need to have one proof of work coin because then, because then if you're on, if you're on Ethereum and, um, and you want, and you want to store your money behind work then you exchange it for uh, for Bitcoin or if you're lazy, you get wrapped Bitcoin or you wrap your Ethereum and put that on Bitcoin. It's like, whatever, but you only need one.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you're, you're slowly starting to see it, right? Uh, and the thing I mentioned earlier, I'd love to get our own research team on it and look at the, the economics is, mm. yes, I think if you look at like CoinMarketCap or CoinGecko, any of these top rankings, fewer and fewer of these coins are going to be proof of work. But as far as the economics in the market caps, I think that's actually held pace, right? Um, the industry has grown significantly. Like the cost of the machines, the hash rates, the network difficulties, those have continued to shoot up. So those the ones that survive have only gotten stronger. It's the ones that are kind of limping along. You see more and more 51% attacks. You know, ETC has gotten 51% attacked a lot. BSC, Yeah, a lot of these coins, right? So I Not think over time... Yeah, I think uh, Bitcoin Cash, um, there's a reorg protection, right? So it doesn't really oh, make ten, that much uh, sense. They're they had ten, the 10 block, yeah. ten block mm. checkpoints, right? Mm. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's still, it also costs a lot of money to, to attack these networks, right? So um, I think people, they have to have all... Okay, we'll, we'll do another whole segment and tangent on, uh, <laughs> on attacking a chain. Yeah, you obviously have to have, have an off-ramp to offload have liquidity. People aren't just going to attack these coins and not make any money off of it. Um, but that's a different discussion. Um, but I think over time, as the industry matures, I think there's going to be fewer proof-of-work chains and there's going to be attrition, right? Because a lot of these networks are going to be so small and it's going to be easier to, to attack as uh, as just more efficiencies gained uh, in the technology. Because the improvements on the ASIC designs and efficiency of the machines, that's not stopping anytime soon.
0: I'd love to touch on that, though, because for me, it's like a, a non- Te- like, not a super technical Bitcoiner, in terms of, exa- like, obviously you hear 51% attacks thrown around all the time, but exactly, like, what are the mechanics of pulling off a 51% attack?
1: Uh, well, I think, obviously, you need 51% of the network hash right? You need a significant yeah. portion of it, right? Uh, and I think, practically speaking, it's next to impossible for big, uh, the dominant chains like a Bitcoin or Ethereum network. Um, but for smaller networks, what you do is, Uh, You go go against economic incentives, right? Um, uh, Where right now, each of the chains, the smaller chains on, let's say, Shot to 56, uh, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and BSV. Um, Right now, if Bitcoin Cash is about 2% of the market cap of of BTC, people would only point 2% of the global network hash rate towards it. Uh, And let's say BSV is 1%, people only point 1% of the network hash rate towards it. That also means you only need 0.5% uh, or 0.51% of the entire network to go attack BSV. It just doesn't make economic sense to do so unless you can mine a lot of it and sell it before you reorg it, right? right. Sell whatever coins you mine. So <clears throat> practically speaking, the mechanics actually aren't too difficult. You just have to have enough hash rate uh, to attack these small networks. It's more of how do you offload off of it? And is it worth, worth the headache, right? Uh, so I think people sometimes are... Um, they're very conscious of the ratio between these different networks, and if they, uh, if they're, if they have a vendetta, or they want to want to make a point or this or that, and they just want to muddy the waters, they, they're welcome to do so, and no one's stopping it. I think this is this is by design, and I, and I actually love it, right? Because if there's fail states in place, or look at our modern day governments, right? If if they don't have good fiscal policy. Uh, you can't just print more money and bill yourself out. You can't raise the, raise the debt ceiling every single time. So I think it's actually pretty in line with uh, a lot of the challenges you see in the modern
0: world. That's very cool. Very cool. Um, and, and as well, so so because you're, you're in the U.S. right now, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm so just what's... outside New York City. Okay, nice. Um, in terms of, uh, I mean, there's been a load of stuff there, right? Things are getting a bit, a bit interesting in the U.S. What's your... Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on how things are going? And do you think all this stuff will get pushed through? Um, pushed through in one
1: sense? Uh, like the, um, uh, the cap gains, unrealized cap yeah. gains taxes, and this yeah, yeah. and that. Um, I think it's hard to say. I think, I think you're already arguing a decent amount of pushback, and hopefully it doesn't. I think that's, that's going to be such a big paradigm shift in how, even beyond just Bitcoin miners, how all financial companies operate, right? I, I think I would hope common sense prevails. You know you know what it's it's similar to it's similar to like the proposals that California throws out every now and again it's asinine as, yes. as uh, the exit taxes that they throw out like people like leaving California they they too many people leave in California right so the California politicians are like we're gonna institute a new tax where even after you leave California we're gonna back tax you for all your future income in your other states yes. like it just doesn't make any fucking Man. sense and I think unreal uh, taxing unrealized gains is similar to that. That's going to stymie so much growth. Like Bitcoin's just a drop in a bucket when it comes to the volumes, of economics of traditional hedge funds, all these traders, derivatives, whatever the case may be. Those markets are the ones that can really be really hit, right? Mm. So um, I, I don't lose too much sleep on that, but knock on wood. <laughs> uh, and when it comes to tax, a, as a Bitcoin miner myself, and as someone has been in Bitcoin, I... Uh, I, I, I pay all my taxes. I report everything lawfully, and whatever tax taxable gains are out there, I conveniently lost them every time I visited Andreas in Thailand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, too many boating trips.
0: Yeah. There is a there is a lot of ocean here, so there's plenty yeah, of yeah. Exactly, to... <laughs> exactly. It <laughs>
1: decentralized all, the, all our boating accents as well.
0: Yes. Shit with side shift AI.
2: What do you think is going to happen uh, with Bitcoin mining in the future? Like, this whole China thing is going to blow over, and people are going to relocate to, like you said, Kazakhstan and uh, and Canada, <laughs> Texas, in and many other places. And, yep, yep. Exactly. Uh, so then, like, what do you think? What do you think is next?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, and there's a lot of speculation that can be made here. Like you already seen the shift of miners towards Central Asia, like a Kazakhstan, into North America. Um, I think the FUD never goes away, right? Uh, ironically, all the FUD that China controls Bitcoin mining, is so much of it centralized there, is now going to shift to, oh, North America controls Bitcoin mining, right? Um, too much of the network hash rate is going to be in North America is what people will say. Uh, But it's easily refuted, um, whether it's Canada or in the U.S. um, All these uh, countries operate as a republic. There's independent states, right? Mm. And they operate very differently, right? Um, But even beyond, like, let's not go into politics and arguments there. I think there's going to be the FUD there that's going to be too centralized in the U.S. But also, I think it's an opportunity for the rest of the world, right? There were previously deprioritized regions uh, that had a lot of cheap electricity. They had a lot of uh, capacity uh, and potential for growth, but they didn't weren't really looked at and considered much because the, the climates uh, weren't very conducive to air-cooled mining, right? So um, a Bitcoin miner is uh, shaped like a shoebox, right? And the design is simply because that's the form factor of the fans. Um, one of the biggest costs and one of the biggest challenges to running the machines is how do we cool them, right? A um, uh, Bitcoin miner essentially is three microwaves jammed into one shoebox that doesn't ever shut off, right? So that's dissipating. That's consuming a lot of electricity, and it's dissipating a lot of heat. So the cheapest way to move that heat is to dissipate it through air. And uh, air cooling doesn't really work uh, when it's way too hot outside already. So the cold you're pulling in isn't isn't cool enough, or it's too humid. So you have entire regions like Southeast Asia or Australia, South America, where there's abundance of stranded power, renewable power, or just power that's not, uh, not typically used or otherwise wasted. Um, that could be used for Bitcoin mining, but doesn't work for air cool, air cooling solutions. So I think there's going to be a acceleration of immersion technologies. And that's where you're putting, you're submerging your ASICs into liquids and you're using liquid technology to offset and move, dissipate the heat. So I think that is going to unlock other regions of the world, right? I also see a new class of, we're seeing it play out in front of us, right? A new class of Bitcoin miners are entering into the uh, industry. It's the institutions, um, publicly traded companies, large power providers, uh, nation states, sovereign wealth funds. Uh, We're talking to a lot of them at Foundry. We're seeing a lot of it in the news. Um, You have um, presidents of South American countries tweeting about the operations of Brain Online, right? (laughs) <laughs> um, but we're also talking with people in the Middle East, right? There's a lot of sovereign wealth funds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of dormant power. And people are realizing that Bitcoin is so synergistic uh, with uh, electrical grids and power plants that are otherwise struggling or peaking. Uh, it provides a whole new, uh, it, re- it rejuvenates uh, their power plants because it provides stability to the grid. And it can operate as a battery when the power doesn't need to be sold and doesn't even be, can't be utilized other, uh, uh, other times. So um, I see these entrants becoming the dominant players because they have access to cheap electricity. Uh, and I also see that uh, the geographical distribution of it, right, with all these regions being unlocked, I think it's going to get really interesting because all these new players are going to be coming up. Uh, over time, I also see that more and more of the China's control over uh, the vertical integration ver- of the miners and the production is going to be Uh, shifted towards other regions. It may not be this immediate cycle, but over time, right, as the industry matures, you're not going to have the same volatility of the price swings. Um, And and when that happens, there's going to be newer ASICs that are developed outside China. There's going to be manufacturing supply chains that get brought up in other regions. Right now, it's branched out from China to Southeast Asia. Eventually, that's going to branch out to other parts of the world as well. So uh, Um, I think we're living a very exciting timeline, guys.
2: And I was just, I mean, I think I've asked you this before. I always ask like when uh, Bitcoin money with nuclear, but if you're doing it in the US, then you're already doing that.
1: Yeah, so I think nuclear power is really promising for Bitcoin mining, but only at scale. So practically speaking, when you're bringing a power producer into the Bitcoin mining game or what they want to enter it, um, they're not going to just start off with, a quarter of a million dollars or half a billion dollars of deployments, right? And that's what you need to start a nuclear power plant. One of the challenges of, nu- uh, of building Bitcoin mines with a nuclear power plant as, an, as its energy source, if you're going behind the meter, is, is the scale of the project. Uh, typically, you want to start very small, you have a proof of concept, you go to the pilot, and from the pilot, you then ramp up to uh, a larger scale deployment, right? Uh, with nuclear power plants, you don't really have that optionality, uh, when they turn on, they're already at minimum 100, 200 megawatts. And mm. that's larger than most of the public listed companies. It's massive, right? So I see that being more of an end game. So you have a private equity firm, you have a country, a nation state that owns a nuclear plant and some smaller plants in the portfolio. Maybe they do the proof of concepts in the smaller plants. And eventually, when they buy into doing this at a larger scale and assume they can acquire enough machines in time, then they transition it all into a nuclear. Uh, deployment um it makes a lot of sense because the energy costs are so cheap it actually is very clean right uh it's just a matter of i think just timing and and progress and making sure that there's uh the practical things are checked off before those products actually get deployed
2: and uh i guess the final question is what's going on really in el salvador are they mining with volcanoes it does it make <laughs> sense to mine with volcanoes
1: uh I think I love it. I think the meme is fantastic. <laughs> I think it's great to see mining happening in other regions. Um, and I, and I, think they're, I think they're doing great, right? I think when you have the resources of a nation state backing you, right? I think anything's possible. But they're going to face a lot of challenges, right? I mentioned before, like, it's very hot. and It's very humid. So air cooling is not going to work. So it's not actually the source of power. It's more of the region of where you're actually mining. So if they can tackle the challenges of the humidity and the heat, then yeah, any source of power like Bitcoin mining does not discriminate between the source of power. It just goes for the cheapest fucking power that's out there, right? It's it's on a ruthless drive for cost efficiency. Now, if you want to subsidize and incentivize renewable growth, volcano power, whatever, it can go that direction. But if the economics don't make sense, people won't use that power, right? So it's incredible that um, all these there's all this fud saying Bitcoin mining is bad for the environment, this and that, and we talked about it earlier. It's a drop in the bucket for total power consumption. Like how many articles were written in the past half decade saying Bitcoin mining will be uh, more than the total electrical consumption of the world by 2020, 2021, whatever random date. We haven't even come anywhere close and it won't be anywhere close. Uh, What we should be applauding is that Bitcoin mining has the ability to drive innovation and incentivize uh, different power uh, power sources and energy mixes that are cleaner and greener, right? Um, Or (laughs) nuclear, they're more efficient, right? because ultimately it's all economics game. People don't attack 51% attack uh, because it doesn't make sense. It's not even worth their fucking trouble. Uh, and when it comes to like hard forks and this and that, like we can be as loud as we want on Twitter, but miners don't care. Miners just want to make money they just want to plug machines in and keep the network going, right? Um, I remember during the very beginning of the, uh, the scaling wars and scaling debates, right? Uh, Jihan was doing his impassioned battle cries and trying to rally his troops uh, in, within China about like why it's important that blocks should uh, be increased, block size should be increased and this and that. And, and during all these conferences and, and presentations, the front row would be the largest miners in the world, right? Uh, and they'd all be asleep. or all they to be playing on their phone. They really don't care. <laughs> they, they just wanna plug in their machines, get Bitcoin, either keep the Bitcoin, speculate there or sell it for money, right? It's, it's all very economically and financially incentivized. And I think that's beautiful.
0: Amazing. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, but guys, be sure to follow Kevin on Twitter because it's honestly like it's uh, be my go to for anything when it comes to China and keeping up to date with everything mining as well. So that's you know, at Sino Crypto, I'll leave the link just below as well. And um, yeah, also, I've, I've noticed you've been doing a lot of uh, conference appearances. So it'd be great to uh, everyone to keep updated with where you're at uh, on your timeline as well. Yeah.
1: Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think uh, lately I've stepped up my ship posting a little bit. Um, I've also been attending a lot of different conferences. I love that slowly things are reopening. I can't reopen fast enough. Um, And the conferences are terrific, right? Um, Well, the next one I'm going to is actually going to be in Texas. I I won't be presenting at that one, but I'll be attending it. And you got senators from Texas, Wyoming, I think Kentucky will be in in the house. But I love seeing that regulators are embracing it, right? And the focus isn't going to be on like how Bitcoin money uh is done with the energy mixes or this or that it's going to focus on well one what can it actually bring to the table right how can it stabilize grids i think that's really exciting like they're being very forward thinking and realizing that there's all this potential out there
0: very cool really appreciate your time kevin um been a pleasure and hopefully we won't leave it a long time uh, to do the next one so uh but yeah really appreciate it thanks a lot Yeah, yeah thanks for having me on guys